Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Good morning, Mercy Commons. I'm Sean. I'm one of the pastors here in our community. And it's, uh, it's my privilege this morning to continue our series in Ruth. During this time, we're looking at the beautiful way in which God is sovereignly at work in the shadows behind the scenes. As an old preacher I heard once say, God is always doing more for you behind your back than he's doing in front of your face. We see this as true through the story of Ruth and, and Boaz and Naomi for sure, but not only for those in the story, but for us too. I mean, Jesus himself comes through these people. Um, last week, Nick gave us a sort of a cliffhanger. Today, there's a little bit of a spoiler alert. Uh, I'm going to leave you with a bit of a cliffhanger as well, but don't worry. Uh, Chris gets to kind of clean that up next week and give us a resolution. Um, but for those of you who are, maybe are not aware of the story to this point, maybe you haven't been able to, to, to stay connected to, to our journey through the book, the Book of Ruth is a small book in the Old Testament, and it tells this amazing, beautiful story of the redemption of a family, a family that King David and eventually Jesus comes through. It's a story of Jesus's family. It's also about a reversal of an ethnic prejudice uh, and a strong foreshadow of our own redemption seen through the affection and the actions of an honorable man who loved and cared for both Jew and Gentile alike. Today we come to the part of the story where we have seen that Ruth, who is ethnically a Moabite, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, what, what that means in a moment, has shown herself to be an honorable woman, and Boaz in the story, an honorable man, both in public and, as we'll see today, in the shadow of a private moment. As Nick talked about again last week, Naomi is, Naomi, the mother-in-law, she's paying attention to this, this stuff that's, that's occurring, all of these seemingly coincidental happenings and points of connection that God is weaving together behind the scenes. She's seen how this prominent and well-respected uh, relative, his name is Boaz, he has noticed Ruth. He has protected her, he's provided for her, given her preferential treatment. He's extended grace to her and elevated her position. So Naomi seeing these things and being aware of her family connection to Boaz as a relative, she has devised a plan. She got a plan. This plan is meant to secure a husband for Ruth and to bring about a restoration of the land that Naomi's husband lost when they left all those years ago. If it were to work, it would be because Boaz agrees to fulfill the role of a kinsman redeemer, a role that was outlined in the book of the law in the book of Moses. So Naomi instructs Ruth, here's what you're going to do. I want you to get cleaned up, put on some perfume, get your best black dress, you know, go to where Boaz is throwing a party, sit on the outside. Don't go into the party. Don't, don't, don't go in. Don't let him know that you're actually there. But sit and wait till he's feeling good. Watch to see where he lies down. And when everyone's asleep, I want you to sneak over to him, pull his blanket back to uncover his feet, and do whatever he tells you. And let's pick up in verse 6 of chapter 3 in this story. So she, being Ruth, went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and he turned over and behold, a woman was at his feet. He said, 
who are you? Who, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied to Ruth, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is the word of the Lord. If you're a sermon title person, this morning's message is entitled, Honor in the Shadows. There's two concepts, two concepts, that if we need to really understand these two concepts to correctly interpret the story and at the same time, see the richness of what God has done for us in Christ. Those things that we're going to quickly look at is foreshadowing and the concept of honor and shame. First, let's take a look at foreshadowing. Last week, Karn read Psalm 23, personal favorite, out of the Jesus Storybook Bible for Kids. That tagline, as I've mentioned before, is the Jesus Storybook Bible, every story whispers his name. Simply put, this is the idea of foreshadowing in the Bible. It's not that every detail or little thing has some sort of direct connection to Jesus' life or action, but the main stories, if you, if you look long enough, you'll see patterns and echoes, uh, people who resemble Jesus in a very particular way and what he's done for us. They are a foreshadow, pointing toward the one who will fulfill the picture of the action. In our passage today, Ruth says to Boaz, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. As Nick reminded us last week that the kinsman redeemer was someone who had a family, cultural, legal, and honorable duty to restore rights to a family member who had lost their rights and avenge wrongs done unto that family member. A kinsman redeemer would do three things. He would redeem the land, buying it back and restoring it to the rightful owner. It would redeem the slave, buying back the freedom of the one who had lost it, and redeem the family name by providing an heir where there was none. In our story, Naomi and as a result Ruth have lost their land and their position. They have been reduced to poverty and oppression. With their losses, their family name was also tarnished. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, were deceived. They rebelled and therefore lost their land and their position. They became slaves to sin and death and God's image in the earth, his family name, 
was marred and tarnished. Naomi and Ruth needed a redeemer. We need a redeemer. Boaz says to Ruth, I am a redeemer. What a sense. I am a redeemer. In Luke's gospel at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see him stepping into a synagogue, going to the front, unrolling a scroll to teach. And he quotes this passage from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolls up the scroll, sits down and says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I am a redeemer. Boaz is a wonderful whisper of Jesus. The second thing, the second thing that we have to see clearly to appreciate the story is something I'm sure you've heard me talk about before. It's the idea of honor and shame and how people in the biblical stories see the world through through those concepts, like a a set of glasses that colors their entire world and, and how they see everything. Theologian and cultural anthropologist Timothy Laniak, speaking of Eastern and Middle Eastern culture says, honor and shame are the central values to which other values are subsidiary. Hospitality, generosity, status, obedience, anger, accusations, and even revenge are the behaviors and the sentiments which are explicitly linked with the terms for honor and shame. In other words, pretty much everything that is said and done within the ancient Middle Eastern world rolls back up to one of these values and shows either an addition of honor or a subtraction of honor through inheriting shame. This is important because honor and shame are real things for us in the modern West as well. However, they don't tend to be the primary lenses which we see the world through, but they're beautiful lenses that can help us see the color in the story and the foreshadowing of our redemption. In this story, we see that true honor, we're gonna look at what true honor looks like, true honor is not ashamed of what others think. Boaz is a man of honor. He is well-regarded. Everybody knows who he is. Um, It was about 20 years ago. Again, you've probably heard me talk a little bit about this before as well. I I spent a summer just outside of Jerusalem in an an Arabic village. The ministry I was with was renting a home from a really uh, well-respected family in the village. Uh, When I told people where I was living, I always got the same exact response. Quais, 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 which means good, good, good. they, they knew who the family was, and they always responded like, that's a good, that's a, that's a good family. Glad you're, glad you're there. Um, I, I also, though, had this weird experience where I, I'll never forget this. I met a younger guy, well, younger guy, who's the same age as I was at the time, um, in, in the village and um, had, had been talking with him. And uh, I, I, he had eventually come, come over to the house, to the outreach center, and that, that's where I was at. We're teaching English, teaching computers, that, that kind of thing. He stopped by, chatted for a little while. He left, and the owner of the home, his wife, from the second floor above me, saw him leaving. And I was inside, and I heard through the window, Shai! Shai! That's what, they, that's what she called me, Shai. Uh, and I, I went out, and, and he go, she said, Not a good man. Not, no good man. Not a good man. She was very, very adamant about this. Like, 
Like it was a problem that this guy was, that this guy was here. Now, listen, I have no idea what that guy had done, but he was not seen as someone who had a, uh, you know, a good reputation. He was not a reputable person. And, and he was essentially shamed in the entire, in the entire village. So Naomi is poor and Ruth, she's a Moabite woman. They, they were not thought of well. Moabites were not thought of well in Israel. They were seen as a harlots and temp temptresses that would lead Israel astray. There, there was a strong prejudice in the minds of the Israelite people with regard to Moabites and especially their women. Their origins as a people are traced back to one of Lot's daughters in Genesis 18 and 19. Let me just say, it's not the most stellar moral moment in, in the Bible. You can look it up for yourself. Uh, Boaz, though, is a man who was raised by an Ammonite mother. Boaz's mother is Rahab. He is a man of mixed blood, a man who knows what it's like to have a mother from a people who are called names. He moves towards Ruth. He shows us that honor is not ashamed of those that the world looks at differently. The descendant of Boaz came eating and drinking, a friend of tax collectors and prostitutes. No matter what you've done, what the world calls you, who misunderstands you, labels you with racial or character slurs, Jesus is not ashamed to associate with you. He wants you. He moves towards you. Jesus and those who follow him cancel no one. The next thing that we see in our passage about true honor is that it is willing to sacrifice for others. Boaz responds to Ruth's request and says, And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to, to redeem you, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. There is something quite beautiful about someone who has the strength and power using it for the better of someone else, willing to do something that others are not. Jesus tells us that love looks a lot like this. Greater love have no man than he lay down his life for his friends. In this quarantine season uh, and in the wake of George Floyd, I've been reading different things. And one of, the, one of the books that I'm almost done with right now is kind of the memoir of Dr. John Perkins. Uh, Dr. Perkins is a follower of Jesus, a minister of the gospel, a community developer, and a quiet hero of the civil rights movement. He was born and raised in Jim Crow sharecropping era Mississippi. He experienced the agony of having his brother basically lynched by the police. His mother starved to death early on in his life, and he lived under the oppression of white supremacy in the Deep South. Dr. Perkins was not raised as a Christian. Uh, he, he got out of Mississippi at some point early on in his life, and he made his way out here to California. He started to experience opportunity that really wasn't available to him in Mississippi. It wasn't long before he was able to work his way up at his work, get married, buy a house, start having kids. He had, he had finally made it out. He became a believer during that time through a Bible study program at a local church. And one night, God called him to return to his people in Mississippi to preach the, what he said, the whole gospel for the whole man. He said, God wanted me to go back to Mississippi, to identify with my people there and to help them break the cycle of despair, not by encouraging them to leave, but by showing them new life right where they were.
John Perkins was willing to give up his security. He was willing to give up his comforts for the sake of loving others. He was beaten within an inch of his life by the police when he returned in this small town. And he's, his central offices are now 16 miles away from that, that place where he was beaten. His ministry has done countless good and his life has left an impact on the evangelical church. I would highly encourage you to look him up. Through Boaz, we also see that true honor covers and protects. Boaz, realizing that Ruth is in a difficult position, she could be in danger if she sends her wandering home, if he sends her wandering home in the middle of the night and knows that it will be a scandal if someone spots her leaving, believing that something inappropriate happened when it didn't. It, it wouldn't be good for him, but it would be terrible for her, absolutely terrible for her. So Boaz says, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. He doesn't say a woman, by the way, in the, in, in the original language. There's a focus and a specific protection for, for, for Ruth. Stay here until early morning so you can slip away without being noticed. He is covering and protecting her. This reminds me of one of my favorite unsung heroes in, in the Bible, the man that God chose to raise his son, Joseph. In Matthew 1.19, we see when Joseph finds out that Mary, who was engaged to him, uh, was pregnant. The scripture literally says this, Her husband Joseph was an honorable man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. He covered her. So he decided to break the marriage agreement with her secretly. Protection and covering. The word says that love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I should say that this is, def this is definitely different than hiding real sin uh, or being unwilling to lovingly confront someone who is in sin. This has more to do with the extending of mercy and the consideration of the welfare of someone else, even if there's a risk to yourself. The final thing that we're going to look at with regard to true honor is that true honor can absolutely be counted on. Naomi says to Ruth after hearing all that she said, wait my daughter until you learn how the matter turns out for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter this day. Naomi understands what kind of man this is, an honorable man who will do what he says and says what he will do. He is a man of his word. She is confident that he will follow through because his honor is on the line. It's his honor on the line. He is committed to a course of action that is before God, a legal and relational obligation. He will not diminish his own name by being untrue to his word. Naomi is magnifying and adding to his honor by believing he will fulfill his duty. God is the same. Psalm 23 tells us that he leads us in paths of righteousness not for my sake, but for his name's sake. I'm telling you, this one point will do a lot to help us understand the nature of the gospel and to help us to let go of the pride of false guilt and the trap of trying to forgive myself because, quote, I should have been better. When the reality is, God has declared that all people are liars that we are all like sheep that have gone astray. We have all sinned. 
He loves us anyway. Colossians 2.13 says, And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all, all our trespasses. Good news. We agree with this in theory, church. Sometimes we, yeah, yeah, that sounds, that sounds good, but often we can deny it in practice. When we sin or we fall short or, uh, you know, even of our own standards, let alone God's standards, um, we can often do one of like two things. Some of us ignore it, ignore sin, kind of tune it out, pretend that it's not there. And, and the danger there is that our hearts can become hardened. That's what the scripture tells us, that there's a problem for sin for with Christians. If you ignore sin, you ignore the conviction of the Spirit, your heart becomes hardened. That's a real danger that we should heed. But others of us can focus on ourselves. Why did I do that again? How could I be so stupid to do that again? I have been there. I have done that. I have lots of t-shirts. <laughs> uh, I have to admit that that's, a, that that's something that we go to very, very, very quickly. But here's the thing. That is a greater dishonor to God than the original failing because it reflects very closely the original sin of pride and self-dependence. That, that reaction is an affront to the gospel and it's an affront to Jesus having to die in our place. Honor in the shadows dares us, I dare you, <laughs> to embrace Jesus' work on your behalf, to believe his cry from the cross, it is finished, and to rest assured that in the words of Isaiah, he will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth. He doesn't quit. So church, whatever you're wrestling with today, whatever difficulty you face, I invite you to step into freedom to magnify the Lord and to heed Naomi's instructions to be still, to wait and know that he has and he will settle the matter. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.